a Podcast One production. For the last few months, like clockwork, I've been having these regular horrible headaches. Plus, I've been waking up in night sweats for just a couple of days each month. Now, at first, I thought maybe it was my hot bedroom. Then I was thinking it's my PJs or my sheets. Finally, after months of this, I went to see my GP who suggested it might be perimenopause. What? I'm 42. There is no way. What what is this perimenopause? (laughs) Then I learned that it can actually start from around the age of 35. I just wish I'd been more educated on the topic and I knew those symptoms to look out for. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. If menopause is a topic you, like me, are putting off until closer to age, say, 51, which is the average age of menopause for Aussie women, then I assure you, today we are not talking about menopause. We are talking about perimenopause, which begins anywhere from age 35 to 45. I think it's really important for us mums to be educated on these early signs of perimenopause and feel reassured that nothing is wrong with us and that there are lots of options to help us manage any of the symptoms. Joining me to discuss this is Dr. Rosie Worsley, an endocrinologist who specialises in women's hormone health. Dr. Rosie holds a PhD and her research on women's hormone health has achieved multiple awards. She presents at seminars and is in clinic every week working with women and mums like us on their hormone health. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Rosie. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Amelia. I think it's so important to bring attention to these sort of aspects of women's health because they really don't get talked about enough. And what you're describing is really common for women in their late 30s and early 40s. We know that actually about one in five women in their early 40s will get night sweats and hot flushes, which is something that women are really shocked about when they start experiencing themselves because it's not really something we talk about at all. So if we talk about what is perimenopause itself, Perimenopause is really a description for the years leading up to menopause, with menopause meaning the last period you ever have, your final menstrual period. And the average age of onset of perimenopause is about 47. And what really signifies the start of it is when your periods are starting to become irregular. But it can occur much, much earlier and it's a prolonged process. It can go on for many years. But what I see a lot of women with is even before perimenopause in the years leading up to it, when they're still getting regular cycles, already they're starting to get things like night sweats and hot flushes. They might be getting really bad PMS. They might start getting menstrual migraines. So this is technically called the late reproductive phase, but I like to call it the pre-perimenopause because it's exactly what it's describing. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Rosie, I need to talk to you researchers for a moment and say, can we stop giving these such horrible names? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. menopause. It's like, what researcher or scientist out there decided, oh, we'll just make it sound a bit better and put the word peri in front of it. Can't we think of some better names? Like, I don't know, wild women on top, hormones gone wild. Uh, all these names are just putting the fear of God in us mums. I know. It's, it's really overly technical as well. And it's something that happens to everyone. And we should really have better language so that it, we can just sort of talk about it in a straightforward way. Uh, I know. And look, you spoke about the symptoms and I want to kind of rattle those off in a sec. But before we jump into those symptoms, what is actually happening during that 
perimenopause stage or the, what was it, the final reproductive, what was that other yeah, name you the said? Late, the late reproductive stage. So that's when you're still having regular cycles. So you're still ovulating every month, but there's hormonal instability going on. You're probably not getting as much hormone level as you normally would be or as you would have when you were a bit younger. When you're in perimenopause, you actually will have really irregular um, ovulation. So it can be really erratic. Some months you won't ovulate, some months you will, some months you might double ovulate, some months the ovulation will happen really early, sometimes it'll be late. It's really, really unpredictable, which is why the symptoms can become really unpredictable as well Um, and why it can be really hard to sort of work out what's going on because you might have, say, hot flushes every day for a couple of weeks and then nothing for a few months. So then, then people start thinking, oh, am I going mad? You know, what's going on here? But it's a really a, a sort of erratic function in the ovaries. And basically what this whole process is, it's the the ovaries basically gradually conking out. So your eggs are running out. And as you get less and less eggs, you get less and less hormones. And um, by the time you reach your final, your last period, there's basically no eggs left. And you're talking about progesterone, estrogen imbalances predominantly that are triggering these symptoms? Yeah, you're really talking about a lack of hormones overall. So after you've had menopause, you won't have any progesterone essentially. You have a tiny bit of estrogen, but not much. But the problem with one of the reasons why you get so many symptoms is because it's not just a gradual decline in hormone levels. The hormones sort of go a bit crazy. They go up, they go down, they go sideways. And it's kind of like putting, I think of it like putting a person's brain in a washing machine of hormones and it just sort of swishes them all around and it can really, um, you know, make people feel quite shocking. So it's this sort of unpredictability in hormone levels that can make things very difficult. Does having children affect it? If you've got two women, one's never had children and one has, will they experience different symptoms or different onset of these? It's actually not that well studied. Women who have children seem to have menopause a bit later, although that might just reflect the fact that women who haven't had children haven't been able to have children, and so perhaps their ovaries weren't functioning right. as well. I think that's what, what is different these days is that often women are having menopausal symptoms when they're still looking after young children or you know fairly young children who are still at school. You know They're not the classic empty nesters that people used to talk about in the past. So things, symptoms like irritability and things things like that suddenly become really quite difficult to manage if you're feeling really irritable and you're also trying to manage like small children and that sort of thing. So I think it's more the context that women are in at the moment that can impact those symptoms. Oh, I'm hearing you 100%. And if you listen to a lot of my other episodes, there's a common thread of this kind of (laughs) mummy rage that I talk about in a few different episodes. And it's amazing because I've spoken to so many guests and come at it from so many different angles, whether it be psychology or kinesiology or whatever. But I want to talk about the mental health impacts of perimenopause because It was really reassuring for me to understand that these feelings I'm getting and and it just, I kept saying to Tim, my husband, this is just not me. Like, why am I raging at my beautiful children? So talk to me a little bit about the mental health impact and some of those symptoms. And then we'll get on to some of the other more physiological symptoms as well. 
And that's exactly what women describe. They say, look, something that used to not bother me, now I find intensely irritating or I can't let go of it. (laughs) And irritability is one of the more classic symptoms, particularly early on it'll happen before the period, but as people go through it might happen more regularly or at sort of erratic random times. Perimenopause is also a time where women are at higher risk of anxiety and depression as well. So there's at least a two and a half times increase in the risk of depression. So it's a real sort of full gamut of um, potential mental health effects. Obviously, it doesn't affect everyone like that. But I think things like irritability can become really difficult to manage and often why people will end up seeing me or seeking help because the, the mummy guilt basically kicks in. And they, you know, they try to get treatment so they're not sort of screaming at everyone all the time and they find it, you know, it it is a really difficult symptom to manage and it's really very biological and I think when you combine sort of this hormonal storm and then you also combine it with what's a stressful situation anyway, so it's pretty difficult to remain calm quite often with small children anyway, particularly if they're going off and if you're having to manage sort of hormonal symptoms as well, that can be really quite difficult. But as you say, it's really um, helpful to know, okay, it's hormones, it'll pass, you know. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that it seems to happen at a stage in a mum's life when she has got just the pressure cooker situation of the young children, probably rapidly aging parents, probably career yeah. challenges. And let's face it, if you're still with your partner, you've probably got a seven-year itch or you've been there for a long time as well. So like you say, it is that kind of washing machine. So let's talk about some of the other symptoms that if a mum's listening to this today going, oh, maybe I am in perimenopause right now. You Mm. mentioned irregular cycles, whether they're shorter or longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've spoken about those irritability. We've spoken about hot flushes or night sweats that are occurring kind of in almost at certain times of the month or it can be erratic. What are some other symptoms that could be a sign of perimenopause? So one of the classic ones is vaginal dryness. Oh, lovely. And so okay. that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dried up and whistled. Sorry, ladies. Um, so, <laughs> and it can be something that's there all the time. It might be something that, you know, you're just finding you need a bit more lube than usual. Um, so that, that can really be quite wide ranging as well. Some women find that their libido overall is not what it was. Mm-hmm. There can be cognitive issues. So people starting to find they're finding it really difficult to remember things or they're finding it harder to multitask or they're having to write a lot more lists than usual, mm-hmm. which again is hard because as you say, women are often facing these things when they've got, they're sort of at peak busyness in their yeah. whole life, I think. They're trying to manage so many different things at the same time and it puts a lot of pressure on them sort of physically and mentally. So then all these symptoms really... Um, come out. Sleep disturbance is a huge one as well. So it can be insomnia or some women get this sort of funny symptom where there'll be a certain time in the morning, like 3am, where every morning they wake up and they go, well, I'm awake now. Yeah. (laughs) They try to go back to sleep and they just can't. Or you go back to sleep five minutes before the alarm goes off. That's right. And they're they're not necessarily worried or anything. They're just awake. Hello. Very annoying. Yes, I get that too. Gosh, I'm ticking a lot of boxes here. Not mm. the vaginal dryness, thank goodness, but well, a good. lot of the other boxes I have. Okay, <laughs> I mean, look, there's more. There's more. Um, there's, oh, there's gosh. Jo- okay, keep going. Joint and muscle pain, it's pretty common. Oh, yeah. And the too. other one that I see all the time menstrual migraine. So uh, this can yes. be women that have either never had migraine before or they've had migraine in the past but it's sort of been fairly irregular they haven't had it very often Uh, whereas often in menopause you get this big flare-up of migraine often it occurs just before your period but sometimes it's just 
or overall, you know, it's just a very common thing. So migraine and headaches are, are really common around this time as well. Is there any lifestyle factors that might bring on perimenopause sooner or anything we can kind of control that could influence it? Or is it really just look at your mum and that's pretty much a sign of, you know, whenever she went through menopause, work backwards from there? Yeah, it's mainly look at your mum. There's a couple of things. So smoking, you know, is bad for all tissues, including ovaries. So if you smoke, that tends to bring it on earlier. We also know smokers are more likely to have severe hot flashes. And that's because smoking, the nicotine can affect the way that estrogen is metabolised in the liver. So they do effectively have less estrogen. So that's a big one. Really ill health of any kind can affect it as well. So if you're drinking very heavily, that's not going to be too helpful either. And then there's been concerns around, you know, weight. So people who are very, very overweight might have worse symptoms, but we don't know that it necessarily affects the timing of onset. Okay. And for the mums listening who are ticking a few boxes like me and you went to see a GP, what are some of the more conventional treatments that a GP might offer or a specialist, an endocrinologist such as yourself? So there's a few different things. For some people, just knowing about it is enough because they know what to expect. They know that they're okay, that they'll get through it, that it'll pass and that it's not that they've got some terrible tumour or something like that. Um, So sometimes reassurance is what people need. And then it really depends on what their specific symptom is. So one of the really common treatments is actually the pill because the pill contains oestrogen and progesterone, so it evens out your hormone levels and it also provides contraception because that's one of the big traps around perimenopause is even though your period might not be regular, you can still get pregnant. And we don't reliably consider you to be not able to get pregnant until you haven't had a period for about 12 months. So uh, that's why the, the pill is often used. For people who are, say, closer to 50 or over, you might be looking at something like an HRT. HRT is essentially the pill but in a lower dose. If people have really heavy bleeding, then you'd probably be looking at something like a Marina IUD and that would treat the bleeding and provide contraception. And then you could have something like an oestrogen patch to help with hot flushes and symptoms like that. So they're sort of some of the really common treatments that you can have, particularly for people with really bad symptoms. Sometimes there are more specific treatments you need as well. So for things like menstrual migraine, Hormone therapy can be helpful, but often really you need actual migraine treatments. So medications that specifically treat migraine. They, they'd probably be our most common things. I know there's been a bit of a bad stigma around HRT and it has been linked with some cancers in the past. Where are we at now with research? Is it okay to be using now? Have they advanced the technology in HRT therapy? Yeah, look, I think the HRT we use today is a lot better than it was. So the old studies that showed a link with breast cancer, so that showed that if you're on HRT for five years, you increase your breast cancer risk by, say, 30%. So as an example, if your breast cancer risk is 6%, it'll increase it up to 8%. So um, it certainly does have that effect. The HRT that we have these days, we, we can use actual progesterone as opposed to the synthetic progesterones, and the oestrogen we use is 
basically the same as your own oestrogen. So we think that that's likely to be much safer than the older versions, but we do still have to consider that they probably do increase the risk somewhat of things like breast cancer. There are positives as well. So you will get a reduction in the rate of osteoporosis and fractures. There's a reduction in endometrial cancer and a reduction in colon cancer. At the end of the day, it really depends on the individual person and what their risk factors are. And it's really safe for some people and for other people, they really can't take it at all. Right. And I mean, you were talking about over a five-year period. It might be something that mums might go on for a short period of time, um, which reduces any risks quite significantly. Mm. The average duration is one to two years. And we know now that one year of HRT really doesn't affect breast cancer risk at all. Um, which is really reassuring. I think the other thing to think about is that it's essentially the same as the pill, but in a lower dose. You know, people are on the pill for many years and you're not seeing the same change in breast cancer risk with the pill because you're comparing to women who are having active menstrual cycles. So it's really about who you're comparing to as well. So a lot of it depends on your age and your overall risk factors in terms of what the risk for you personally will be. And I think it's important to recognise that HRT really does work as far as symptoms. Do you see it in the clinic? Oh, yeah. How a mum feels after going from zero to HRT, her symptoms are alleviated? It's incredible. I mean, it's it's like a miracle sometimes, really, because right, people yeah. can be really extremely debilitated. They go on HRT and they feel like a new woman. So, It doesn't work that way for everyone, but when it works, you know, it works so well. On average, it reduces the hot flushes by about 80%. But I think where it really works as well is that it seems to really pick up people's overall well-being. It can really help with that irritability and the mood type issues as well. So I think you have to look at HRT in context and look at it for that person because often, you know, when you look just at breast cancer risk, you're kind of, you know, forgetting the rest of the person. And I've certainly met women who've had to, you know, give up working because they've had what are essentially really bad menopausal symptoms and you put them on HRT and they're able to function again. So, you know, it's very much about the individual and is it a right treatment for them. Okay. And then for the mums like myself, who I don't feel my symptoms are severe enough to go on HRT, are there some lifestyle changes I could make or some traditional or complementary medicine approaches I could take, such as naturopathy, eating phytoestrogens? Yeah, I think that some of the most important things really are about what what's going on overall in your life. So are there things you can delegate, you know, all those sort of simple things? Are there ways that you can get a bit more sleep? Because often, you know, these symptoms, they're a bit like the straw that breaks the camel's back sometimes. You know, you're adding them on top of an already incredibly stressful life. So if you're able to address any of those things, I think it's really helpful. If there are jobs that perhaps you don't need to be doing that someone else in the household could be doing, I think that's really helpful as well. The other thing that's really um, sometimes comes into play is alcohol. So often women are starting to feel more anxious and they're very stressed and they're, you know, the alcohol they're having in the evening tends to be creeping up. So, you know, without meaning to, you're having huge volumes of it and that, that doesn't help either. So cutting back on things like that, cutting back on smoking, all the usual kind of things, eating well where you can. And there certainly are some herbs that do help as well. So things like black cohosh, red clover, they do have some benefit for some people they tend to work we think for about three or four months at a time and then sometimes they'll wear off but you might only need it relief for it for a short while and then you can go off it and go on it again so they're probably the main things 
What about evening primrose oil as an option? It's really good for breast tenderness, which is another common symptom, but it doesn't seem to do much for other symptoms. Okay, and then including phytoestrogens in your diet and phytoestrogens being estrogens that occur in some plants, such as soy products, so like soybeans, tofu, soy milk. You know, there's foods like flax seeds, oats, barley, even I think apples and carrots contain a little bit. Mm. When we eat these phytoestrogens, our bodies may respond as if our own estrogens were present. What are your thoughts on these as a method to reduce some of the severity of our symptoms? Look, there was a big sort of, a lot of interest in this about 10, 15 years ago. And I think, unfortunately, it hasn't really panned out. Um, It doesn't seem to have been as helpful as what we thought it might be. So I I don't tend to sort of promote that because I think it's a lot of effort compared to what benefit you might get from it. But I don't think there's any harm if if people want to try that. Yeah, I was doing it just the second half of my month of my cycle. So from about day 15 onwards, just switching out having soy milk in my Mm. teas and a study of one, but it did help alleviate the sweats a little bit. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it wasn't that much of a a challenge for me to do. I think that people should go with something like that, which is, you know, it's safe and it's sensible and easy to do. There's no harm doing it. And it's not like there's going to be well-designed randomised control trials that are going to give you an answer to that anyway. No, of course. It's all observational. Exactly. I think if you've got simple things that work for you, I certainly think that's a good idea. Okay, so finally, for the mums listening, can you share any reassuring words that could help us reframe our attitude towards perimenopause and menopause to one to more of admiration for the female body and for the life that it gives us? Look, I personally, I'm quite looking forward to the other side of it. Yes. I think that women who are women who are postmenopausal overall are actually much happier than premenopausal oh. women. And that as women get older, they do tend to get wiser and happier and less anxious. So I think there's quite a good light at the end of the tunnel and certainly not having periods and things would be very convenient. Some people do have quite a rocky experience on the way to that other side, but there are treatments there if you need it to help you get through. But for most women, it's not that bad. For most women, their symptoms are pretty manageable with things that they're able to do themselves or things they can do at home. Um, So I think overall it's a positive thing and I think it's, we don't really know why we we have menopause. There's not many animals that do and it's probably... Because I don't want to be 85 with a newborn. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's a very good reason. (laughs) Well, well, exactly. I think so. And it's because of, I think, the vital role of grandmothers in our society and I think evolutionarily (laughs) grandmothers are really important and I think when you have children and you, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a good mother yourself, you know, you see how important the grandmothers are and you think, well, yeah, there's probably a reason why, why evolutionarily we have grandmothers and menopause is part of that. So I think it's a positive in that way. But yeah, that's right. Nobody wants to have any more babies like that old, do they? <laughs> well, mums, just recognise the symptoms and know that you're not going loopy. It's just your hormones. Know that there are so many treatments out there, uh, lots of less scary options than jumping straight into HRT that may help. And I love, as you say, Dr. Rosie, it's a phase that we go through. And when we come out the other side, hallelujah, no more contraception. And let's face it, we don't give a shit anymore. And we can just own it, (laughs) own the matriarch that we've 
become. So bring that on. Exactly. (laughs) Dr. Rosie, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. That was great. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Sound production by Matt Nicklich. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au. If you like my podcast or think other mums might find it helpful, please spread the word by sharing a link to your network of fellow mums. And feel free to drop me a line on Instagram anytime. I'd love to hear from you.